This is getting so exciting. It is. <laughs> In order that you will remember, and you will do, as kol mitzvosai, all of my commandments, v'yisem kedoshim lelokechem, and you will be holy to your God. This is uh, a new puzzle. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to talk about it in depth, but I thought I would start with um, an interesting, interesting bridge from the Chafetz Chaim which is a bridge from don't stray after your hearts and after your eyes after which you will go astray in order that you will remember and he says one way we could read this this is not the pshat but he says a lesson that we could read into this from the flow of one to the other he says, I once heard about a person who decided he was going to travel to a very far away country, but it was also a place where religion was completely thrown off and disregarded. Mm-hmm. I wonder what country that might have been. Because <laughs> he misbarich bilavavo. He blessed his heart, but it means over here, it doesn't mean bless his heart. It means uh, he flattered himself or he... Mm-hmm. Uh, he rationalized. He rationalized Lomar and said, I'm going to go there. I'll earn some money. doesn't need to be much. And then I'll be able to travel to Eretz Yisrael and serve God with a whole heart. Okay. Now, what he's obviously that could be a completely legitimate plan. The problem with this plan was clearly that this man was going somewhere where his Torah and mitzvos were not going to be as good as they should be. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty clear from the way he's telling this. It's not just oh, he's going to go and he's a righteous person and he'll be in a negative environment for a little while. That's not the problem. It's I'm going somewhere, I might not be able to keep Shabbos because I'll need to work, but it's only going to be for a little while. And after that, then I'll be able to go to Israel, and then I'll be able to work completely for Hashem. I'll, you know, I'll still have to work, but I'll have enough savings to support my family, and then I'll be able to do the mitzvahs correctly. And this is a kind of Yitzhahara. So I'm trying to think how to translate it because I think, I think with us it wouldn't look like that. Um, it might look more, I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, a good example might be somebody who's first starting to keep Shabbos. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So obviously, you know, a little bit, you got to choose your timing so that you don't fall back out of it too quickly. But there's a certain kind of Yitzhahara of saying... I'm not going to do it now because now there's a really big project with a deadline. So I really, really have to be able to work more. Really, not even for Shabbos. Think about for family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? And it doesn't have, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, um, I know I should be spending less time on the internet, wasting my time 
with stupid things or just sitting and watching movies. But there's this one series I just want to get to the end to, and then it'll be okay. Like, then I'm going to start, right? You know, or there's a big wedding in a month. After that, the diet will start. Then I'll be able to, to do it. Rather than, like, the plan in is to sort of say, but I, I think my, my examples are not good examples, really, compared to this one. Because here he's saying that I'm going to do it in order that I'll be able to go to Israel. He's saying, I, I need the money to be able to get to Israel. So it's, you know, my examples were not really so good because my examples were just pushing it off until it's convenient and rationalizing that I'll do it later because this is so important. But they aren't such good examples because you don't need the first phase in order to achieve the second phase. He's saying there's a certain Yetzirahara of Vilosa suru achare levavchem v'achare inechem lamantis kiruv asisa v'skomitzvosai. Don't stray after your heart and your eyes which lead you astray by promising that you're going to do this sin in order to be able to serve God better later. So I haven't come up with another example yet. Maybe one of you will come up with a good, a good example of what would be a little more likely for us in our daily lives. I'll have to think about that a little more. Right? The Yetzirah of do this sin. I'm going to do this thing wrong. Oh, that's a very good example. Um, I'm not going to say it. It's a good example anyway, but I'm not going to say it. I'm gonna <laughs> too controversial halachically. <laughs> I'm going to do this sin now, but it's justified because by doing this sin, I'll be able to do all the mitzvahs later. That's a special kind of Yitzhahar. There is a concept in the Torah of mitzvah habab avera, a mitzvah that comes through an avera, it's very, very rare that such a thing is permissible or advisable. Okay. So the Chavetz Chaim is saying, even when your kavana is in order that later you'll remember to do all the mitzvahs. You'll do this sin in order that you can do all the mitzvahs. Okay. But now kind of down to more like tachlis. Really, we're saying you should have tzitzis and look at the tzitzis and remember the mitzvos and do them and not follow after your eyes and your heart in order that you will remember and do all the mitzvos. Okay, so let me point out, there's a question here. This verse starts in order that you should remember and do all the mitzvos. What is it referring to that you should do in order that you should remember and do the mitzvos? So the way I just said it is kind of the shot. Like you should do looking at the tzitzis. And then we kind of jump over the rest as like a, some kind of parenthetical clause and then come to Laman Tizkuru. But given that it already said you should look at the tzitzis and remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem and do them, it's a little hard really to read it as and don't stray after your heart and your eyes in order that you should remember and do all the mitzvahs. Because I already told you that, right, the Torah has already said that you should look at the tzitzis and remember and do all the mitzvahs. So that's kind of where the question is. And then the answer, of course, must be then that it's the other part of the sentence, that it follows more directly, that don't stray after your heart and after your eyes, which will lead you astray, in order that you will remember and do all the mitzvos, which is a really different thing. 
a really different concept. Yes. By not going astray, then you, then you will remember to do all the mitzvot. That's, it's really very different. So we touched on this concept a little bit when we talked about the idea of choosing what we put in our mind, even if it isn't bad. That, that when we are not looking at something bad, it, when we're not looking at something, let's call it non-positive, okay, it could be neutral, it could be negative, then it opens up our mind to look at something good. It frees up our attention, it frees up our space and our computing power. So this is kind of the direction that we're going to start with. This is from Ha'aras HaTfila, but he's quoting the Chachma Musar. So this is Rav Yerucham Lovavitz. You should not uh, survey after your hearts and after your eyes. There's a lot of noise out there. Which you go astray after. In order that you should remember and do all the mitzvahs. Didn't it already say? Didn't the Torah already say you should remember and do the mitzvahs? Why does it go back and say in order that you should remember and do? So the, the altar of Kelim said, he, he makes an interesting distinction. He says, what's the difference between a tzaddik and a rasha? The difference between a tzaddik and a rasha is not their emunah. And this is something that I, I've slowly come to notice in Torah, in particular, and people also. But I think my sort of youthful understanding was that tzaddik is somebody who's nice, who's good, a rasha is somebody who's bad and wicked. So obviously the difference is, do they believe in God, right? Like this is somehow, he says, no. Tzaddik and rasha has nothing to do with their faith, with their emunah. It's not that a tzaddik believes and a rasha doesn't believe. Because there's a Gemara in Shabbos that mentions, Rishaim know that their path leads to death, but they have fat on their hearts. They have, they have spiritual uh, clogging of the heart arteries. <laughs> Okay, so they can't somehow, they, they can't get themselves motivated in the correct direction, even though they know that what they're doing is wrong and, and will lead to catastrophic results down the line. But they don't have to have a Muna? It, it's not a question of whether they should have a Muna, of course, right? But... The difference, what, the difference between a tzaddik and a rasha is not whether or not they believe in God. A person could believe in God and still turn out to be a rasha. Mm -hmm. And that's a kind of scary thought. Hang on one second. Okay. And Rashi comments over there. Oh, and then the Gemara goes on to say, maybe you'll say that the problem is that they forget. They just lose track of what they're supposed to do. And the Gemara says they're running after their mouths. They, they go, they, they're going and doing what they want to do. And Rashi says, in the future, not in the future, I'm sorry, their soul's future is going to lead to, is going to, lead to be destroyed. They're destroying their own souls. 
And even though they know what's right, and they always talk about doing what's right, they never somehow manage to turn around and do what's right. We, this is something pretty familiar, I think, more than someone who twirls you know, a mustache and ties people to railroad tracks as being wicked. That the definition of a rasha might be somebody who knows what's right and wrong and who even believes in God, but who somehow cannot manage to be choser, to come back and do what he ought to be doing. If so, then according to this Gemara, it means that Rishaim also believe in God. That a Rush, uh, not all Rishaim, but that a, a person could be a Russia and believe in God and believe that there is reward and punishment in the world. So what are they missing? <laughs> Where's the problem then? How did they turn into a Russia? What they're missing is the power to visualize spiritual truth. What does that mean? Because, good morning. You can know something intellectually but unless you can see it and visualize it as real, as a reality, it doesn't have the same power to motivate you. Right? We've talked about the eyes and the heart, and this leads to our emotional state. It doesn't have that power over you that your intellectual capacity to visualize the truth has. Do you mind closing? <laughs> and since the sins are right there gripping the eyes, and that's right sitting there in your reality. It's activated, it's materialized. That's competing against like a dream that fades away. There's no real, you know, in the same way you wake up from a dream and it seems so real and then it kind of fades away and you can't even hang on to remembering what, you're trying to remember the dream and it slips out from like under your, your fingertips. He says that's what happens if you haven't, just in the intellect, then when that is compared to something that's seen directly before the eyes, it can't compete in terms of our behavior. And therefore, this is what Rabbi Leichter was saying, right, about being able to visualize to the positive, using the koach adimyon in order to make visualizations in your mind that are just as real and powerful for the positive as the visualizations that we have from the negative. But it takes more work because you have to plan to do it because you don't actually see it. Nobody's got billboards to help you aspire to spirituality. Well, that's not true. Some people do. But, <laughs> but not maybe to our aspects of spirituality we're looking for. Therefore, the Torah commands us, as we read in Kriyashma, don't follow after your heart and your eyes, which will lead you astray. And this is the reason, in order that you'll remember and you will do all of God's mitzvos. Because the seeing of all kinds of pleasures of the world will confuse the power of, of the, your ability to visualize all the sweetness of the world to come. Which is interesting, because that's why we have a contrast then. The Torah is saying, look at them, look at the tzitzis, 
And look at the tzitzes and the... Oh, it's Isabel. Yeah. <laughs> So the Torah says, look at the tzitzis, see them, and how are you going to see them? You look at the tzitzis, and the tzitzis reminds you of the sea, and the sea reminds you of the sky, and the sky reminds you of the heavenly throne. In other words, look at it and visualize. Use your imagination to see what is good. Don't use your eyes and your heart to follow into the wrong directions in order that you'll be able to remember and do all the mitzvot. That way you won't, you'll be able to see the pleasures of the next world. You'll be able, oh, well, you can't really see them yet, but you can envision them. You can see them in your mind's eye and not have those images crowded away by all the images that are in the world saying, oh, come, and they just really want your money. I was astonished in Las, you know, I went to Las Vegas in January for the Consumer Electronics Show. So you have to walk through, through the hotel, you know, through the lobbies and things in order to get to the buses or to the convention center. And it, it's a terrifying thing to see. There's all this stuff and people coming for this as a vacation. Forget about how horrible what's going on there is. But you, to walk through the casino, and you can see on the faces of the dealers how depressing their job is, and to think how everything is set up to get you to hand over your money. Everything. That's all the management cares about. And it doesn't matter. They're making it look nice. They're making it look fun. There's such a different feeling. Let's say I was comparing. I was thinking, well, in Disneyland, they use a lot of lights, and they make like a pretty promenade and a main street and they're just trying to get you to save your money but in, I realized it didn't feel the same not only probably because of how they're trying to get you to spend your money which may be part of it right the different different kinds of activities but in Disneyland the way they're getting your money is by providing a positive experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the better they can provide a positive experience the more likely you are to spend the money Mm -hmm. But in Las Vegas, that's not how they get your money. They try and get your money by providing experiences that will get you to give up your money. It's a different approach, and you can feel it. Mm -hmm. when you're, I found it very depressing. I could not wait to leave. I, really, I mean, it's not the first time I've been there, and I felt that way before, too. I just can't wait to get out, and it's really horrible. Anyway. So you have an entire, you know, being in Las Vegas, this sort of like, it's difficult to compete with the flashing lights and people and the billboards and the signs and the people walking up with the flyers because where will you have the headspace to visualize something that isn't right there in front of you? So the tzitzis are right there in front of you to help bring yeah. you into that visualization. But if there's other stuff competing for your attention, then it's much harder to be able to follow that. And then a person will forget. Um, sorry, I just skipped a line here. No, I didn't. If a person is letting his eyes look at pleasures of this world to attract him, he'll be left empty. He'll be left empty of, of both things, the spiritual and the physical. And he will forget from his heart then he'll forget. 
he will, it will, because it's yishtakech tomid, it will be constantly forgotten. Minute by minute. It's not like, oh, I forgot, and then, oh, I just remembered. But in any particular moment, his heart will forget about God and God's awesomeness. It's a, it's a, a constant forgetting. Each minute is a new forgetting. And that God is awesome and fills us with awe. And that the words of God that are expressed in the Torah are awesome. And in every case, you can count on it, that that which is remembered and visualized will win over that which is forgotten and left unvisualized. It's a different battle. He's saying the battle between a Russia and a Tzaddik is the battle between where you let your mind spend its time. Do you think about and visualize, which is hard work, but do you think about and visualize spiritual things and godly things, or do you think about and visualize that which is mundane? Because in every case, the one which is remembered and in the forefront of consciousness is going to win. Now there's, we've talked about this kind of idea before. Sometimes there's the elephant in the room, and you have to clear the air by mentioning that it's there. The sort of the elephant in the room is, is when there's a topic that's so big, it's like having an elephant in the room. Mm. So if nobody's talking about it, but everybody can see that it's there, and it's really the main point of interest. The elephant in the room is, what about when people see their tzitzis and don't remember and do? <laughs> That's like the elephant in the room of this whole and set. You just look at your tzitzis and you say, oh, it's dirty, it needs to be washed. You yeah. Know, you're something totally yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, how come? And, and it's more than that. Here's, think of it this way. Okay, remember, you remember this. We read this little bit from the Rambam. The Rambam writes at the end of Hilchos Mezuzah, and we read this in the first paragraph of Shema when we read about Mezuzah, that when a person encounters the mezuzah in his doorway, gizkor, he'll remember ahavaso, his love, v'yeyur mishenaso, and he will awaken from his mental slumber, v'shig yosav, hazman, and his errors and his mistakes and his time wasters, v'yeda, and he'll know, she'ein davar ha'omed le'olam ule'omed olamim, ele yedias tzor ha'olam, and he will recall that nothing lasts forever and ever except for knowledge of God. That to the extent that you're thinking about Hashem, that lasts forever. But the house doesn't last forever, the job, everything outside doesn't last forever. Umiyad, and immediately, he comes back to his senses. <laughs> uh, we could open the window again. Now, maybe that noise stopped. Okay. There was yeah, like a drill or something. It's warm. The, the oh, sun and you have the sun on you. I'm warm even without it. Yeah. Immediately he will come back to his mind. A person will be brought back to where he should be with his mind. The holech bedarchei mesharim and will walk upon the straight path. Okay. And there were other beautiful things, as I recall, in that. There was a longer paragraph from the Rambam that we read about how you... You see the mezuzah, and you remember Hashem, and you remember his love, and you feel in love with God. Okay, this is something 
very similar then to the tzitzis. It's something that when you look at it and encounter it, it causes you to feel, to think certain thoughts and feel a certain way. But we notice that we walk in and out of doors with mezuzahs dozens of times every day. <laughs> we might even put our hand up and kiss the mezuzah dozens of times every day and not become aroused with the thoughts that the Rambam seems to take for granted we will think when we go past a mezuzah. Why is that? <laughs> it's the same question. Meaning, the Torah says, wear your tzitzis, look at them, in order that you'll remember and do all the mitzvahs. And just, it's nice that he brought the Rambam over here because for us, not wearing tzitzis, right, but definitely walking through doors with mezuzahs, right, the question applies to us as well. So how come we don't feel that way? So the Chazonish wrote in his letters, just to make the question stronger, okay, you can feel free to fill in here with mezuzah if it makes it more personal. When you merit to keep the mitzvah of tzitzis, like really fully, you will feel simcha, you will feel a tremendous, um, a tremendous joy that will spread throughout your entire being with feelings of holiness. To tie a lasting knot with the Torah and the mitzvos. You feel like the knots of the tzitzis are tying you close to the Torah and the mitzvos and creating a covenant that will last forever. And this author of Herosatvila says, so we never really felt that way. He says, we never felt that way ever. How come? <laughs> like, what's, what's, the, what, what's the Chazanish telling? Like, right, so one is the Rambam, and he's a Rishon, okay? Chazanish is more modern. None of them can touch what the Torah just said, but they're all kind of saying the same thing, that when you do this mitzvah, you're going to feel so close to God, and you're going to remember all the spirituality, and yet, okay, so he quotes again from the altar of Kelm, sort of a, a, a root concept, he says. He says, the pleasures of this world, the food, the money, the honor, we feel with our senses. Understand what he did? He took this same idea, which I brought from the Saba of Kalim, but from the Chavetz Chaim. Okay. It says, we feel this with our senses, and our senses are the primary portals to our minds during our lifetime. But with spirituality, the only doorway in is knowledge. It doesn't use any of the senses. When you know something and think about something, you're not activating the sense. So the Torah tells us, see, that, see it, see the tzitzis, and remember, and do the mitzvos. And we say... We see the tzitzis, and we don't remember, and we don't do. So the Torah warns us, oh, you know what you're missing? And that's why there's an interjection there. The Torah says, oh, no, no. 
it only will work if you don't go and stray after your eyes and your heart, which will lead you astray. Liman, in order that tizkiruvasisim is komitzvasai, in order that remembering and doing all the mitzvahs will happen. So the Torah said, if you look at the tzitzis, this will happen. But make sure not to look at other things in order that you'll be able to look at the tzitzis and that that will happen. In order that you will be able to keep the mitzvah that was said before of remembering all the mitzvahs of Hashem and doing them, then it requires that you're not drawn after all these other pleasures of the world that will leave their mark with images of pleasure that are worldly, of this world. Because it's only then that you leave room for the more subtle and quiet message of remembering all the mitzvahs of God and bringing them into fruition. So it's only by reducing their impact that you make room, <clears throat> one might say, for the still silent voice of God, right? That Hashem says, my voice isn't in the, isn't the, the thunder, the kol de mama daka. The small, still voice is where we hear most the call of God. So we have to not drown it out. Now this passage, we're going to start a little bit of um, moving into the second half. There'll be some overlap. So you have to clean away all the garbage, and then you can have a fresh slate. Okay. In order that you will remember and do all of my mitzvos, v'yisem kedoshim lelokechem, and you will be holy to God. Now, it didn't say that at the beginning, right? So this is like a new thing. If you look at the tzitzis and you don't stray after your eyes and your heart, then you can get to remembering and doing all the mitzvos and being holy to God. This, this is why it starts to get so exciting, I think, not just because we're at the end of the paragraph, which is also exciting, but because the Torah is telling us you could achieve kedusha. That we, the Torah is telling us how to get to kedusha. That's very exciting. It's exciting to think that there's the potential for that in all of us to the point where we all read this twice a day. Like, this isn't just something that's tucked away in the, in the books of mysteries for only the great ones to, to find. This is what everybody says twice a day. You'll do all the mitzvahs and you'll become holy to God. You'll become kadosh. Kadosh is... That, that's lofty. That's a lofty aspiration. All right. So now I'm, we're going to do a few different pieces between now and maybe next week or even two weeks because one or two of them are long but worthwhile. What's next week? Oh, next week I'm away. That's right. Next week I'm away, so we won't have class next week. Next week you're here? No, next week I'm going to be away. Oh, but the week after that. Yes, back. then I'll be back. Bezra, so, next so next week, no class. No class. Um, so it's going to take a few weeks on the. I want to take a few weeks on this topic, on this concept of you'll remember and do all the mitzvos and become kadosh to Hashem. And trying to understand more what that means, both because it's an exciting idea and also in the spirit of the Amira Ne'ima 
that Rabbi Leichter talked about, meaning when you, when you explore something and it becomes exciting and it's something you do want to reach out for and you think, oh, a, f- a taste of that might be within my grasp to achieve Kedusha, that's something exciting, then that creates that positive visualization and the positive motivation to do that helps us to grow into new directions that maybe otherwise we're sort of, I should, but I'm not managing, which is scarily more similar to that distinction of the difference between the tzaddik and the Russia is the Russia knows what he should do, but he just can't work himself up to it, which is a little scary, <laughs> right? Essentially, that's what it said. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lifetime, right? Moment after moment after moment like that. So we want to have the excitement and thrill. So that's why, even though it's going to take a bit longer, the... There's like a beautiful piece from Derek Hashem and a beautiful piece from Revolvi, and I, I hope that that will give us something that's exciting also with our mitzvos. So to start. To start, I am looking at a little Dvar Torah. Uh, it's not fair to go a little, it's short. <laughs> for for, for um, Rav Schwab, it's not a particularly long Dvar Torah. In Mayan Beis HaShoeva, where he asks, it's actually a pasuk that we looked at, when Yaakov um, was heading out into the world after getting the bracha off the hands of Esav. And he stops that night at the holy place that's going to be the site of the Beis HaMikdash, and he dreams and he realizes that it's not a dream, he has a whole prophecy within the dream, and he wakes up in the morning and he brings a carbon and he says, if Hashem will bring me back safely to my home, and he makes all these different promises of what he'll, he's going to give, uh, he'll tithe from everything to Hashem. Okay. And that there's a sentence in there, Vishafti Vishalom Obeisavi, if I shall return in peace to my father's home, the Haya Hashem Lokim, and God will be for me my God. And this stone will be a memorial. Okay. Now, Rav Schwab says this is kind of interesting because it sort of sounds like he's saying, I swear that if I get home safely, Hashem will be my God. <laughs> and um, that's a really strange comment. Does that mean that he isn't your God otherwise? Until I get home safely. Or until I get home safely. Or maybe you're saying, well, I promise now and I'll, I'll, you'll be my God until I, you, you know, but if you don't follow through, like, it's difficult to say, until now he wasn't his God? Like, yeah, it's like a little hard to understand, like, how that fits together. Okay. So Rashi explains, no, what it means is if Hashem will be with me, like, if I get home in peace and Hashem will be my God, meaning Hashem will be with me guarding me and being strong for me. And that's how Hashem, that's how um, Rashi explains this. If God will protect me, then I will do these promises, these other promises. But this isn't part of the promise. This is part of the condition. Okay. And the Ramban says, and why does he have to make any promise at all? Yaakov Avinu has to swear to do mitzvahs? Like, what's that about? He says, no, it's a tonight, shalom yigrom chait. Like, he's saying he doesn't want to, <coughs> to prevent himself from sinning. Sometimes a person has to make a, a strong commitment or even a vow. Generally, we try not to do that. 
but a person may feel he has to in order to lock in the inspiration down the line. Yaakov didn't know exactly what was going to happen to him also spiritually. I mean, he, as it turned out, it wasn't so great living with Lavan for all those years. So he was making a, a vow now in order to prevent going off with the sin. Okay. But he's kind of, now Rav Schwab says, but maybe we can provide an explanation to the explanations. And the explanation to the explanations, I didn't look up the other verse. So I'll just paraphrase. The explanation to the explanations is actually from a set of verses in the Torah, which are, you will say, how will we manage, how will we ever do battle? Who can save us in the battle tomorrow? Don't worry, Hashem will be with you. He will fight your battles for you. And the next day you will say, it is my might and my strength which has done this battle. We talked about this recently. Back to Rav Schwab. Yaakov Avinu, perhaps, was suspicious or concerned that if all the promises were kept, he's saying, if I get home safely, and if I have food to eat, and if I still, I'm trying to remember exactly, I didn't look up the verses. I still have my clothing to wear, I think, right? But now Yaakov Avinu realizes, on the one hand, he's davening for all these things from God. On the other hand, what will happen if they all come true? What if God really gives him everything he's asking for? After he has all this success in every area of life and all his endeavors, maybe he'll forget, chas v'shalom, that Hashem is God. And everything is God's supervision. And he will instead attribute his success to his mazel, to his strength, it really wasn't so scary. I really was able to do it. I had the courage. Things worked out. I worked hard taking care of those sheep, right? I was willing. And now, do we think that Yaakov Avinu is going to forget that God provided for him? No. Yaakov Avinu is being realistic that human nature is that as soon as it starts to go well, our thoughts tend to go to congratulating ourselves for having done a good job. And we, we drop down a level in attributing it to God. We forget that the night before the battle we were crying. Who could save us in this battle? We can't do it. And then we go out and fight, and we have all this strength, which is not our own strength. It's God's strength flowing through us. And events happen that chase off the enemy, and we forget that it was, you know, it rained or it, or it hailed, like in Yoshua, it hails only on the enemies, right? Chases them down back to the shore. It is the nature of human beings. That a person who is successful attributes it all to his good fortune. And forgets that it's Hashem's personal intervention. And I for sure, since learning this, have noticed it in myself. I think this seems to be universal. The Torah seems to say it's universal. And Rav Schwab is also saying this is basic human nature. This is normal. But because it's normal, we can plan for it. That's what Yaakov's doing. He knows that's normal, so he's planning. This is the chashash. This is his concern. Shelo yigrom 
that he shouldn't sin. He said, now he's, he's explaining how he's explaining the Ramban and the Rashi, but I don't think that's what's necessary for us to get the lesson. He says, If God will be with me and guard me, and I will return in peace to my father's home, and in every step that I take, I will be successful. With all of this, I add to the prayer, Yaakov says, God will be for me, my Lord. I will recognize, and I will know his personal supervision. I won't let it change my recognition of God's hand in my life. Because I succeeded. The gam az, even then, when that happens, I will accept the yoke of heaven just like now. And because I will recognize you, then I will tithe everything to God in appreciation. He says the core of his promise is that he promises and vows to continue recognizing that Hashem is the one providing for him. To offset that natural human reaction is to say in advance, to recognize, you know what's going to happen? I need something so badly. I'm feeling so desperate. Let me make a note of that. I'm going to remember that I feel this way now. So that when I'm asking you all of this chesed Hashem, then later I'll remember how I felt before, that I knew that I was helpless before the fact. And that will help me to not lose it. And then I'll take these actions to reinforce it. And he brings some other examples from the other Avos of how they, they also did something similar. I happen to think that that was a very, very practical piece of advice. Mm -hmm. It's practical. It's, um, it's not as tangible as tzitzis. <laughs> but it is something that we can put into practice. When, when we feel the sense of, like we said, helplessness, not hopelessness, and we turn to Hashem for help, and we say, Hashem, please help me, whether it's, you know, you, you often hear rabbis tell this story, you know, the man who's in a really big rush to a really important meeting and can't find a place to park, and he says, God, please send me a parking place, and I promise I'll keep Shabbos this week. Oh, never mind, I found a spot. Right? Okay. Oh. When we open our mouth and say, Hashem, please help me, that's good. We want to do that. We can say, you know, you, we can even write it down, or we can even just say out loud, I feel so helpless now. I know I need your help. I don't see any way for this to succeed. Five minutes later, you have a brilliant idea. Okay, great. Where did that idea come from? You didn't have the idea before. You didn't think there was a solution. You were in a closed room. There were no doors. Turned out there's a door behind you. Where did that door come from? Right? All of the, that feeling to recognize it and to be able to say, you know what, Hashem, when you find a solution, I will thank you. And I will remember. I, this, it's, it's something I found to be very, very practical in a non-practical way, <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay.
practically to write these things down? I have been known to write them down. You can't always, it's not always, it's not always practical to write it down. Let's say you're looking for a parking space. But the fact that you now are aware of the tendency Mm -hmm. makes it possible to say, Hashem, please send me a parking place. And afterward, when when it opens up, say, thank you, Hashem, for the parking place. Not to forget to say thank you afterward. Mm -hmm. To remind yourself that's where it came from. The minute that parking place opens up, the feeling that you needed to talk to God disappears. So we have to then plan it and say, thank you for sending me a parking place. And it transforms your day. Yeah, also what I found that was very helpful is to notice the way the ashkacha comes. Always like it's like a uh, God is winking. Yeah. Because it's not the way you would have, it is just, there is a, an offset. It, it really is a matter. I could not have come up with that. I didn't, like you say, I couldn't see that coming, and there it came from some other direction. Yeah, and just keep in mind how it yeah. came that was not natural, and remind yourself all the time, is helping me for the gratitude part. Yeah, I think, I think that's the concept of a se'udas hoda'a. That when something happens that, that God saves, saves you, you're supposed to make a meal and invite people to the Sauda and tell over how Hashem helped you. Because when you speak it out and you say, we were here, we were there, and then we were in danger, and Hashem saved us, and here's how he saved us. He sent this person or this medicine or whatever it is, this speaking it out reminds us that it was Hashem's hashkacha. It, it's also, and then it brings up the feeling of the gratitude new. And it's, it's also helping you to look for more. Yes. More, you know. More instances. Yeah. 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 Just you're always on the look. Yeah. It's especially important in the big things, but the practice is in the small things. Uh, that's true of a lot of stuff. So, but, but this is one where it's a pleasure. It feels so good to practice it in the small things, yeah. you know? I can't figure out what order these papers should go. Oh, my gosh, I'm in a hurry. Oh, they're numbered. Thank you, Hashem. I didn't real. I was trying to figure out how I'm ever going to figure out what order to put these papers in. Thank you for numbering them. It sounds so silly, but it makes your day a day of gratitude. And it's a day where you feel that God is winking. God is yeah. smiling at you. Which is a critical to, to feel that God is, it's so easy to go through the day taking for granted. That's this idea. We take it for granted. We stop, you know, this is my mazel, this is whatever, all the things that go well. And the things that, that don't go well, then we notice that something's wrong. And instead of kicking ourselves over it, this is something practical. Thank you for this nice breakfast. It's really, we do it with brachos all the time. We just aren't paying attention. You know, I don't know what I'm going to eat. Here's a bowl of Cheerios and milk. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know what I would have eaten if I didn't have Cheerios and milk. Right? I mean, this is, but, but it's easiest as if you notice it when you don't know what you're going to do. Because that's your psychological moment to be motivated to, <laughs> to remember. But that, that I find is very helpful. Okay, this is. Laman tizkru v'asisem eskol mitzvosai v'isem kedoshim le'elokecha. All right, Rav Hirsch, Lamont his Karu, in order that you remember. Verse 39, which was the previous Pasuk. It shall be for you tzitzis, and you will see it, and you'll remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem and do them. 
and not stray after your heart and my eyes in order that you will remember. So the first Pasuk spoke about remembering God and his commandments, which we are to keep, which are to be brought to our minds by looking at the tzitzis. But the purpose of the remembering is lima'antiz kiru. So the previous Pasuk is describing Here's the practice of how you will remember. And this Pasuk is telling you why you will remember. This is the purpose. In general, without having to use this reminder, we should be able to keep God's commandments constantly in mind and fulfill them. Which I think was something I had completely missed on reading the Pasuk before, the Pasukim before. See the tzitzis, remember all the mitzvahs of God by seeing them and do them, and don't stray after your heart and after your eyes, which will lead you astray, in order that you'll remember and do all my mitzvahs, independent of tzitzis. Isn't that a great subtlety, like a reading into the verses? And it's so exact with the reading of the language of the, of the words. The purpose of having tzitzis to constantly remind you is that even independently of tzitzis, you will constantly remember. Your mind will be habituated to thinking about Hashem. In verse 39, the tzitzis symbol is there in front of our eyes and brings God's commandments to our eyes at a moment when we have allowed them to escape our attention. So there we are, la, 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 we're not thinking about mitzvos, and oh, tzitzis, right, mitzvos. Okay. Hence, they are referred to as mitzvos Hashem, the commandments of God, not my commandments. There's like a God out there, and you'll remember his commandments. But verse 40, that's this pasuk, declares that the goal is to be that it is not the symbol that we have in mind, but Hashem himself in his special relation to us personally. Mm-hmm. That is, you'll remember and do my mitzvos, and you'll be holy to your Lord. You'll be kadosh, like kiddushin, like a marriage, right? That kind of holiness, a special relationship with God let that so constantly and completely fill our minds that we go through life always conscious of our duty so that we do truly belong to our God with the whole of our existence, which is what is meant by being holy unto him. What does it mean you'll be kadosh to Hashem? It means you will truly belong to him with the whole of your existence. Because the in and outs of your day will be in and outs that keep Hashem and his relationship to you constantly in your mind. This goes back to how we see the mitzvos. You will do all the mitzvos of Hashem. You'll do all my mitzvos. And that will make you married to God. And that, that contrast is something that sometimes that contrast is something that we nothing here. That contrast is something that we notice this this past Shabbos in Parshas Korach. 
what it is, how do we understand our what mitzvot do. What the Torah told us here is doing mitzvot draws us into a loving relationship with God or makes us aware of it and draws us close to him. And that's what the Rabbeinu Bachya described. He says, Hashem gave us so many mitzvot. When we plow, there are mitzvot for plowing. Don't put the two different animals together. When we plant seeds, there's mitzvot for planting seeds. When we harvest, there's mitzvot for how we harvest. When we go to the supermarket, there's mitzvot for how we go to the supermarket, right? What do we buy? What do we not buy? How do we spend the money? Gesundheit. Yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine. And then there was Korach, and Korach came and said, what do you mean when, when you plow the, the, he describes this poor woman, right, and she's a widow, and she plows the field, and she harvests the field, and Hashem says, no, you have to give me this, and you can't use these animals, and you can't. He takes exactly, exactly the same message, the same mitzvot, and instead of saying, look how every moment of our lives is connected to godliness. Nothing we do is mundane. Everything that we do can be infused with spirituality and holiness, no matter what, no matter how, what it ha- whether we're cooking food or working at our job or running our errands, all of it can be infused with spirituality and dedicated to God. And Korach comes and he says the opposite argument. And he says... These missiles are like intruding into the home, right? Like the hand of the Lahavza, like the hand of the church reaching into the pockets of all the people. And, and it's, it's a complete... It's hard to imagine how somebody could have gone through the experiences in the desert and still turned around to feel that way. But I guess, you know, that's sort of the message of Parshas Chukas following Korach is... There's a lot of things in life we don't understand. There's a para aduma we don't understand. There's life and death we don't understand. There's a Moshe and Aaron and a Miriam not getting into Eretz Yisrael. It's very hard for us to understand. There's a lot we don't understand. And we have to be able to be at peace with we don't understand, which comes through an approach to mitzvot. I think that's kind of the message of that contrast in Korach is how do we do our mitzvot? Can we realize, saying it twice a day, you'll remember and do all the mitzvot, v'yisem kedoshim lelokechem. The mitzvot bring you close to God. They make you feel close to God. They make you aware that Hashem is there in your life and paying attention and, and caring about you and guiding all your steps. Because every one of your steps now is connected to him. Verse 39 ensures us the stage to be reached as human beings. Meaning, as a human being, you can choose to do right or wrong. And if you lose your way and you forget, you could be reminded and be careful not to do what's wrong. That's, that's good. <laughs> this is an aspiration. This is a, right? But verse 40 raises us to the calling of Jews. Not just that it will help you avoid doing the wrong thing, but you will do all the mitzvot of Hashem, who is a personal 
Hashem. They are God's mitzvos. That's much more intimate. And you will become holy to God through all these mitzvos. This is why we have so many mitzvos. Everyone on the planet has mitzvos, but Jews have a lot of mitzvos because a lot of mitzvos lets Hashem himself in his special relation to us so constantly and completely fill our minds that we go through life always conscious that we do truly belong to our God with the whole of our existence. Okay, so we will close here for today. When I use that, sometimes I, there seem to be a lot of uh, little things that happen that annoy me. <laughs> and so I say, I used to just be annoyed and all upset. Now I say to myself, Hashem isn't going to do anything that's gonna, that, that you shouldn't have. So therefore, I don't have, I don't have really bad things. They're just small things that are annoying me. So therefore, if I just remember that, uh, that, that I haven't really had such bad things, and remember that, uh, that these are small things, and that Hashem thinks I can conquer them, and I do it, you know? And then I feel better inside. Yeah. But I have to say that to myself. Yeah. Otherwise, I just feel myself getting all upset over a small thing. Yeah. But you have to realize it's small, and that Hashem really is helping you and there all the time with you. Yeah. Like you said. It's better to have the yeah. small nudges to mm -hmm. remind you than anything bigger. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Sometimes I dominate Shmona Esther and suddenly come to my Rufuah Shalema list. And you know, you know people you know maybe, you know, or you know the story and you realize, oh my goodness, what was I so worked up about? Mm -hmm. what, what was I what was bothering me again <laughs> like, yeah. it doesn't mean it's not legitimate you talk to Hashem and, you know but yeah perspective is um, I mean nobody has it so perfect no <laughs> which is reassuring because yeah. I think we look at other people we don't necessarily see their problems right so yeah, okay. So next week, Emirates Hashem, we'll start these. Um, next we have week these. You're away. Uh, next week, I'm away. Two weeks. Next session, we'll start these two, two essays on um, that bridge, doing all the mitzvahs and becoming holy to Hashem. Are you just away for Wednesday, not for Shabbos? Um, yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, you know, Donnie's going to.